the story of the time after Jesus' death. Um, over 100 of his followers are gathered together, and they are afraid, and they're hiding from Roman authorities. They gather together to pray, to find solace in one another, to find solace in community. Um, and they're waiting, and they're waiting, and they're expecting Jesus' return, but then they get something else. They get the Holy Spirit. Unexpectedly, the Holy Spirit bursts right in through the front door, and all those gathered in the room, men and women alike, that's in the text, and I think it's important, start to prophesy. They, spark, they begin to speak in tongues, and tongues of fire appear over their heads. Um, and often this story is referred to as the birth of the church, which is very fitting because it marks a huge sea change, a huge paradigm shift in how the biblical stories tell us that humanity related to God. Um, the change is that after Pentecost, humans gained the capacity to literally house the Holy Spirit within themselves. Christians gain, well, all people really, gain the capacity to find God's very self within their being. To grasp the importance of this and what a big shift it was, it's helpful to consider the historical context of what led up to this day of Pentecost 2016. And well, what's 2016 minus 30? Like 1,000 something years ago. A long time ago, guys. Long, long time ago. Um, we'll talk about that later. But um, math. So, but Pentecost falls on the same day that up to that point, um, the Jewish people were celebrating another holiday, which is the Festival of Weeks, which is the time that commemorates Yahweh's giving of the Ten Commandments, which is God's law, to Moses and the people of Israel. And so on this model that was reigning at that time, the relationship between God and humanity emphasized a ruler-subject relationship. God was the divine lawgiver, and the person's duty, the Jewish person's duty, was to follow that law, and following the law was a gift that allowed them to relate to God well and to relate to one another well. But on Pentecost, the relationship between God and the people changes. Human beings are given the Holy Spirit in a way that allows them to act on God's behalf. God's ancient words to the prophet Joel in the Old Testament, they read, I will pour out my spirit on all flesh so that your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, are fulfilled. God's law is internalized into people's very flesh. And, as the Holy Spirit, and at that time, the Holy Spirit becomes the mediator between God and our human lives. So this day that we're celebrating today, Pentecost, is the initiation into a new relationship with God. To make a corny joke, Pentecost is the day when humanity changed our Facebook relationship status from it's complicated to in a relationship with God. Yeah, okay, that was lame. But it's a cool idea, right? Like this idea that we're relating to God, relating really deeply to God through the Holy Spirit. I think that's awesome, but I also don't totally understand it. Like what does that mean? What does it feel like? How would we know if it was happening? Um, to me, it seems that like most good things in life, it's easier to notice when it's missing. It's easier to notice when the Holy Spirit's not there, when we're not connecting it, um, than, it's right, than when it is right there in front of your face. And to be honest, recently, these past few months especially, I've been missing it in my, in my own life, and I haven't liked it. It's been hard. Um, some of you in the feminist theology group know that I've been feeling really bogged down, really stressed out recently. Uh, between, I'm in graduate school, I'm doing a master's, and between classes and reading philosophy and trying to meet deadlines and write papers, I found myself always trying to meet these external expectations. To be honest, it's been really demoralizing. Um, 
And a few weeks ago, I found myself on the verge of tears in my advisor's office, which was a really uncomfortable experience. And I was fumbling and stumbling to find the words to communicate just what was so hard. Um, and I rambled on and on, and I was embarrassed. And then eventually I came to the discovery that what I'd really been feeling is that by trying to meet all these expectations beyond myself, I'd really lost my sense of self. I had lost my sense of my own voice. I'd lost my spark for life. And I suspect we've all been there before. We've all worked ourselves silly for someone else's agenda and forgotten ourselves. We've all wanted so badly to impress other people that we've quit listening to our own needs. We've all become blinded by our well-intentioned desires to be a good son or a good employee or a good girlfriend, and we've quit listening to that voice within. And if this goes on for too long, our insides become hollow. And when we finally take a look inside, we find nothing but a cavernous echo chamber, and it hurts. And unfortunately, one of the most pernicious misunderstandings of the Christian life is based on this similar kind of urge. Some think that to be a good Christian is to succumb to the will of some distance and distant and king like God. And just like when we're trying to live up to the standards of those around us, this mindset estranges us from our very selves. Yet the picture of the Holy Spirit on Pentecost sends us a different story. Through the Holy Spirit, God places God's hopes inside of us. Our task is to listen to what's inside and let it speak into the world. We know that there is the Holy Spirit within us when we're starting to listen to what that voice is saying inside. In fact, the intimacy of the Holy Spirit is probably its most unique feature among the Trinity. In the two biblical languages, Greek and Hebrew, the word spirit is also the same as the word for breath. It's rauk in Hebrew and pneuma in Greek. Breath, spirit, they're the same. And just like our breath, the Holy Spirit is a constant part of us. It literally inspires us. We take the spirit in, and it animates us, and it moves us. And we, when we listen to this Holy Spirit within us, we begin to change. In fact, the Holy Spirit's power to change everything about us is so fundamental that we, when we experience these changes, it might feel like we're being reborn. The Holy Spirit's role is to birth us into a new life, and thus, in many senses, the Holy Spirit is our mother. And it's important to keep in mind these qualities of care, these qualities of intimacy, of compassion, that come to mind when we imagine the Holy Spirit as a mother. These images remind us of the holiness of care, the holiness of compassion, and that these are the very qualities of God. But the Holy Spirit, like all aspects of God, resists being pinned down. I came across a poem this week that addresses the Holy Spirit as the scoundrel of grace and the rascal of heaven. I liked that. Um, but very different images than what you might think of as a mother or of intimacy or of compassion. But these images are the, also biblical for the spirit. And they're also Pentecostal days of, or images that are relevant to this day when we're thinking of God. Like the tongues of fire that showed up on Pentecost, they speak of the fiery, fieriness and liveliness of the spirit. It's, I think, a cool thing to say that something's on fire, like something's fire if it's really cool. I don't know. Um, and when someone's having like a fantastic game, the commentators would say, she's on fire today. Um, but fire can also be scary. It can be destructive. It can ruin. It can kill. Yet only some things are ruined by fire. Others are transformed. Marshmallows in a pit for s'mores, a clay pot in a furnace. Either way, destruction or transformation, one thing is for sure, fire is powerful, fire is vital, 
Fire changes things. Fire is like our mother God. Yet fire is also impermanent. All these things are complex and all together, all in one in God. Fires don't burn forever. They use up energy quickly and they are gone. They burn out. So if the Holy Spirit is like fire, can the Holy Spirit burn out? Honestly, I think the unsettling answer to this question and the honest answer is yes, or at least sometimes it feels that way. Because unlike the other aspects of the Trinity, God the Creator or Jesus the Christ, the Holy Spirit is the aspect of God which is most subject to being affected by us. Like the flames of a little campfire, we have to fan it sometimes to get it going. And the Pentecost teaching is that when the wind blew in and the apostles received those tongues of fire, they were not just receiving a gift, but a responsibility. Pentecost was the day that the first humans found that their bodies were not only theirs any longer. Now their bodies were about to take the place of Christ's and God's in this world. And here we are at the Gorilla Tango Theater, the inheritors of this tradition trying to make sense of it, and that's a pretty high bar, being God's body in this world. And as much as a responsibility as that may be, it's also kind of amazing, and it changes the entire understanding of the God-human relationship. No longer one of domination, of policing, of law-giving, but one of partnership and relationship. And I have to say, this kind of rethinking of the God-human relationship is a central move that has been made by feminist theologians in the recent decades, and it's a kind of rethinking that we're trying to take seriously here at Root and Branch. But I also have to emphasize that this is not some recent innovation, it's actually feminist rediscovering, and others, but rediscovering the true roots of the Christian tradition. The origins of this kind of thinking about the Holy Spirit go way back, back to the fourth century when St. Augustine wrote that the Holy Spirit is the very link of love between God the Creator, Jesus the Christ. It's the love between them, the divine's love for itself, and that love extending all into the entire world. So that's some theological talk, some theological background, but if there's one thing that I believe that the Holy Spirit requires of us and demands of us, it is to speak about God in practical and down-to-life terms, much as Chels did a few moments ago so beautifully. Um, and that when we do that, we're speaking something that comes from the Holy Spirit because we have given this promise that the Holy Spirit is within us. And so to do that, I'm going to simply name what's been burning on my heart recently again, and it's burnout. Intense burnout, intense existential crisis, which I know is kind of like a classic student thing to say, like, oh, what am I doing with my life? But um, as much as I harbor these delusions that it would just be better if I graduated or it will be like better in a few months, I'm realizing that this feeling of burnout and this fear of emptiness is not ever going to be completely gone. I think of those in this very room who work as teachers, and I know it's May, and that's a difficult month. I think of those of us in this room who spend time in offices crunching numbers, and that's got to be tiring. I think of those who work in helping professions where no matter how much you do, how many people you help, there's always hundreds more who you can't. I think of those who are parents who are performing hours of emotionally involved, maybe sometimes thankless work, and the road may be long and the path is uncertain. I think of paperwork, taxes, traffic jams, aloneness. <laughs> And the obvious truth of all that I'm saying is that we're all in this burned out world together. We're all just here trying to get through our days, looking forward to the summer when we can take a break, or the ne maybe next week if we could get some time to start running, or the next quarter at work when this deal we've been working on is finally closed. And we're all wondering if we're doing the right things. 
we're all going to find ourselves, it's not ever going to go away, in these states of overwork, of passionlessness, of exhaustion. And when we do, it's no coincidence that what we use to describe how we're feeling is based in this image of fire, the images that were burned out. And so the conventional advice that we might hear from like a, I don't know, secular source or from the internet website advice is that when you're burned out, just take a rest, just chill, just do some self-care. And of course, those things are important, uh, but sometimes they're not feasible. And the truth is that when I've pondered, looked over at my own life, um, the most powerful antidote for burnout has not been resting. It hasn't been retreating. It has been entering into it has been entering into life more deeply and to letting encounters happen with people who will light my fire again. I think of party invitations that I wanted to turn down but begrudgingly accepted and then thanked God that I had attended because really what I needed was a laugh. I think of phone calls to my grandma that I didn't think I had time to make but did anyway and then received a reminder of who I am and what I care about and that literally saved the day. Or I think about going to Bible study when I had a paper due the next day and discovering that I can learn way more from a conversation with a real person than I ever could from a book. These moments are Pentecost moments because if there is the one thing that the Holy Spirit calls us into, it is relationship. And so if now is a season in our lives where we're finding ourselves on fire and inspired, let's spark the fires of those around us. The gift of your fire is just what they need. But if now is a time when we're finding ourselves burned out, let's be brave enough to say what's on our hearts. Sometimes sharing those words are just what is needed by those around us to remind them that they're not alone. And other times, we just need to be humble and open enough to accept the spark that someone offers to us when they do. Because the promise of Pentecost, the promise of this day in which the Holy Spirit showed up in the form of fire to a group of burned out people, sad, lonely people, is that in one form or another, something will always light our fires again, and that's good news. <laughs>